It's time to set aside the superficial. It's time to go deeper. It's time to engage in truth. Here's John Bornchain. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome back to Engage in Truth. This is John Bornchain. I'm the senior pastor of Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley right here in Colorado Springs. And I am thrilled that you are tuning in today. You know, we've been in 1 Corinthians and uh, we just wrapped up 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Actually, there were just a, a couple more verses to go in that chapter, a short chapter. Uh, but we put all that on our website just so we could just keep this vein of thought going. As you know, here on the broadcast, we have to summarize a bit. Uh, and while we were worshiping together on Sundays, we get to go into this a lot more detail. So if you'd like to go back to our website at calvaryfountain.com, calvaryfountain.com, you can listen to the full messages there. In fact, you have all the sermon notes. We've got an app with all the sermon notes there as well. So you can really get into this. And that's that's our heart is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And so here we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and we're going to look at these 23 verses here. Obviously, we're not going to be able to do all that today. We'll just get through a few. There's a lot of content here. In fact, my sermon notes alone were 20 pages on all of this. So a great deal of content we're clearly not going to be able to get through in just the short time that we have together. So again, I want to encourage you to go back to our website. If you're missing details, you just really want to listen to that again or, or capture those details. Uh, we've got all this content saved at calvaryfountain.com. So let's get into this 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And, uh, you know, let me just uh, start off with, uh, I think that since this is all about selfless service, let me just share a little bit about my wife and I. Uh, you know, we're very careful about how we spend our money. And some some may, you know, even my children, just ask them. I've got five children, one of them now married uh, with two grandbabies. Hard to believe. God has just blessed. But, uh, you know, they may think that we're cheap. Some may call us frugal. I like to call us just being good stewards of the Lord's resources. And yet over time, I've noticed something rather discouraging. And maybe you've noticed this too. And my attempt to save money I buy inexpensive items that quickly break or fall apart. Now, whenever this happens, I tend to say, you get what you pay for. Now, of course, I've come to see that this worn-out cliche does not always prove to be true. Occasionally, I buy brand-name goods that fall apart while the El Cheapo merchandise lives on. And it's rather frustrating and unpredictable Hence, I've, I've learned that you don't always get what you pay for. And, th- and that's true in other areas of life as well. You think about it like from what, what Hollywood does. Hollywood can spend millions of dollars seeking to produce the latest and greatest movie only to watch the movie bomb at the box office. And at the same time, a, a small-time producer can spend peanuts producing a, a film only to see it become the latest rage. And in the world of sports... It's all too common to see an athlete that signs some ridiculously lucrative contract only to be injured or have a subpar season that, that following year. And simultaneously, you have a rookie who can sign the league minimum and have this explosive year. Now, for those of you who've been listening for a while, you know that I've been a Denver Broncos fan. And, um, you know, and I'm not like many out there. I know there's some serious fans of professional sports. I, I enjoy a game a little less these days than I used to. It's been a little harder to be a Broncos fan, but I'll tell you, I'm still a Broncos fan through and through. And when we lost to the Seattle Seahawks in the Super Bowl, there was a quarterback on the other end of the field, Russell Wilson, and he was 
technically a rookie, and I heard the commentators say this, and it kind of took me back a little bit. Uh, the Broncos spent more on Peyton Manning than the Seahawks had spent on their entire offense. Okay, that, that just puts it all in perspective there. You can't always judge a movie by its budget or an athlete by their salary. So, so furthermore, you can't judge a servant of Christ by his paycheck or lack thereof. So you take the Apostle Paul, for example. He chose not to receive payment from the church at Corinth. Instead, he established a church in this sin-hardened city at his own expense. He, he served them freely so that the gospel would have an open door to travel through. And, and Paul's personal sacrifices brought about great results from God's kingdom. Likewise, we have been called to have a godly work ethic as ministers of the gospel. Now, some of us are paid to do that while others are volunteers. We're all called to represent Christ and to offer him our lives. Bottom line, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 1 to 23, where we're at in this particular study, Paul's going to share with us a small autobiographical sketch of his ministry. Okay, so in so doing, he exhorts us then to follow the example that he's about to set, that he set at that time and, and sets even for us today. So number one is we must relinquish our individual rights from verses 1 to 14. Paul builds a lengthy case for ministers being paid, and there are a number of reasons why he does this. Now, I know this is a very sticky, sensitive subject for many, and so I want to just handle this with great care. Now, I know that I know what you're thinking. It's uh, you're, you're picking the wrong day to listen to this broadcast. You're thinking, oh boy, uh, th this is just one of those days where he's just going to simply promote paying pastors and, and why I should be tithing so that I can pay a salary and all these sort of things. Listen, it, it's, it's awkward for anybody talking about this subject, but it's important that we understand in proper context. And that's what we do here on this radio program of Engage in Truth. So we have to proclaim God's word as faithfully as we can, verse by verse, expository in this, so we can't just skip a few verses. And I think you'll appreciate why Paul makes this case. And personally, I can understand why he does this, and I appreciate why he makes the case. I know that when uh, when God called me to Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley, I did not take a salary for the first five years. God provided our means in other ways. I was bivocational. I was serving at the National Day of Prayer, and prior to that, all of my tenure then it focused on the family, and God provided through that and allowed me to be able to serve the church simultaneously. Now I look back and I go, how did I do that? Uh, I think we just often are stretched and God is doing great and mighty things through us and we don't realize how we're able to take on more. And then we look back and go, look what God did. I, I wasn't able to do that in my strength. God did that. So it was a sacrifice that my children made, especially my wife, and I'm grateful that they did or I wouldn't have been able to, to be the pastor that I am today, to serve in this capacity. And it's just astonishing to me that now I can look back and go, it's been nine years of serving the Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley. It's amazing. So their sacrificial giving is what made the, my ability to serve them and to foot wash even possible. 
all. So it, it's my hope and prayer that as we go through this, you'll be blessed as well, that there are times when we receive compensation for this work, and there are times that are we don't. But either way, we still receive blessing. And ultimately, we receive blessing because we're blessing Almighty God in so doing. And it doesn't make it any less valuable if one is receiving a salary for so doing and others who are not. Many sacrifice greatly. We have over 100 volunteers at Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley. And if not for them, the church would not be able to sustain and do what it does. It takes an entire team to pull all that together every week. And I'm not just talking about on Sundays. It is the, the small group activities and all the work that goes every single week. And I believe that's true of many, many churches. So here we are, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 1. Let's read about what Paul has to tell us on this vital and sensitive subject because Paul begins by reminding the Corinthians of his apostolic identity. He's going to use this authority here to help us understand what's going on here that would carry through generations to come. He says, am I not an apostle? Am I not free? Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? So the absence of the key phrase here, now concerning, pedidae, this is a clue that this chapter does not deal with a new subject. It's a continuation of the discussion of Christian freedom and sacrifice that Paul began in 1 Corinthians 8.1, that whole subject that we were covering on food sacrifice to idols and, and, and tripping up our brethren by using our freedom uh, without discernment that may cause our brothers to stumble. He's continuing in this same vein of thought of freedom and sacrifice that, that really as we learn to give back. God has given us great freedom, and as we learn to self-sacrifice, to use that freedom then to build others up, then, then we're, we're actually giving something back to God that God has given us, right? So let, let's continue here. Paul begins with four rhetorical questions that are all expecting a positive answer here. He, he enjoyed the liberty that every other believer had, and he possessed the rights and privileges of an apostle. He had seen the risen Christ. You go to Acts chapter 1, 21 to 22, on the Damascus Road, and we see in Acts chapter 9, Acts 22, 26, and he founded the church in Corinth, which was his apostolic work to do, according to Romans 15, 15 to 21. So, Verse 2 of 1 Corinthians 9, we pick up. He says, If I am not an apostle to others, yet doubtless I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. So Paul's authority was rejected by several factions in the early church. You go to Acts 15, Galatians even, a great deal of Galatians, and, and many of the texts throughout 1 and 2 Corinthians talk about this. So although some may have doubted, Paul's apost his apostleship that should not be the case with the Corinthians. They should know better. So Paul will have to address this issue further of his apostleship with the Corinthian Christians in 2 Corinthians 11 all the way to 13. So they themselves were the proof that he was an apostle. And so if the Corinthians are denying Paul's apostleship, they're denying their own existence. So Paul, therefore, he, he takes the opportunity to work that issue into his discussion at this point, hoping that he can nip this in the bud 
Now, let me pause there for a second. Let me just cor- correct you out there. If you are using that term incorrectly, uh, it is B-U-D. Nip this in the bud. Okay, so let me make sure to use that correctly if you're using that phrase. Okay, so he explains that the Corinthians are the seal of his apostleship. Now, a seal in the ancient world was this warm blob of wax into which a signet ring was was impressed. A a seal, a a letter, or a package was then sealed with this in in order to ensure that it delivered correctly. It was an assurance of the contents that they had not been opened, and it showed who owned the contents. And then it showed that there was genuineness of the contents and that it had been sent by the right person to the right person. So Paul is saying that the Corinthians are his work in the Lord. So if you're a Christian, it is critical that you are investing in others since we are God's workmanship as well. According to Ephesians 2.10, he says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Therefore, we must strive to reach out to impact and influence others for eternity. So Paul, he says, we're to be like him. Our goal then must be to see lost people trust in Jesus Christ and then to grow them into maturity in him, right? To invest in them, to be concerned for our brother's well-being. So in light of eternity, nothing else should matter. So throughout these verses, verses 3 to 14, Paul is going to share about his apostolic rights to make his living from the gospel, if you will. Now, again, I'm not trying to make this a case about why you should pay your pastor, even though I'm holy for that. You need to pay your pastor. Paul's going to make that argument quite clear, but there's far more to this. Okay, that's not what this broadcast is about. I need you to understand what's going on here. Every word is captured for a reason. So we're not using this to make a case for compensation, but there's something much bigger here. Okay, so his case is initially presented and based on a barrage of rhetorical questions. Yet, what we see here at the end is that Paul will conclude that it is best for him to forego his rights in Corinth. Okay, so Paul is going to make this case when he himself is not being compensated for the work that he's doing. And it's something that we have to reiterate to the to all of us, really, as we, as we examine this. We have to understand that the heart and purpose of the church, especially there in Corinth, was to minister to those in greater need. That was the mission, to spread the gospel message into a city that desperately needed the light in the midst of darkness. It didn't matter what about compensation at this point? That has not to do that, that's nothing to do with this, but it is a portion that Paul's going to talk about. He's going to forego that right, but he's going to say it is a right, but I'm going to forego it. Okay. So the Corinthians assumed, as I opened the broadcast with, that you get what you pay for. Okay. Paul was serving without compensation, and therefore some immediately questioned his credentials. In Corinth, orators, teachers, philosophers, they were all paid. Knowledge was status. Knowledge was power. Thus, it was unthinkable that someone like Paul would not receive a paycheck if he was sharing something that was valuable. So Paul builds an airtight case for remuneration. Okay, remuneration. This insists that he will not use his rights, though, to this, but that he's going to defer it for a greater cause. 
okay? He was deserving of compensation. He was giving them information that would change their life. But he wanted them to see that there was something bigger here, okay? So suggesting that Paul is having to remind the church of the value of what they're receiving from a monetary perspective is only one aspect here. But... We have to understand how human beings work in this. I remember when we at Focus on the Family, I was one of the speakers for the Heritage Builders Conferences, and, and we presented for a day and a half on family development. And initially, we tried to partner with the local churches to host the event for free. That no attendee had to be charged for this. We wanted to make sure the message of how to develop a family, that message got out there because it was all biblically based. Well, you, any, I, I wonder if you could just guess what would happen with that. We tried to give it away for free, and the events were sparsely attended. So rather than make radical changes, we were advised that there should be an admission price. We didn't want to detour people, but since the events were losing money, we took the advice and we started to charge for those events. And you know what happened? The events sold out. So apparently, this isn't just a culture of Corinth at this particular time around the first and into the second century BC. Oh no, that we still think the same way today. The culture of the church subconsciously felt that the true value of anything had a price. And in reality, although Christ gave himself for you and me, there is a cost. He paid it all. In Luke chapter 14, 27 to 30 and 33, we read, And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it? Lest after he has laid the foundation is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. There is a cost. And Christ wiped out all of our debt, and in return, we follow him as servants of the Most High. Now, Paul goes on, verses 3 to 4 here of 1 Corinthians chapter 9. He says, My defense to those who examine me is this. Do we have no right to eat and drink? So in the context, he's telling them the right to eat and drink. This is a figurative reference to financial support. Six times the word right is used in this chapter. It's a very central issue. And Paul continues his argument in verses 5 to 6 by raising two other issues. He says, Do we have no right to take along a believing wife, as do also the other apostles, the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working? Okay, so all of these questions expect a positive answer. And something awesome just happened there. I don't know if you picked it up. In fact, with what we read in verse 6, we could just almost read that again here. In fact, I will. It says, Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working? He's talking about vocation, bivocational work there, but who did Paul just mention? Barnabas. The last time we read about Barnabas was in Acts chapter 15. Paul and Barnabas had traveled together through the island of Cyprus in the province of Asia. That would be modern-day Asia Minor. And he's preaching the gospel that is the first missionary journey that he sent out on in Acts chapter 13. And the name Barnabas means son of encouragement. 
from Acts chapter 4, verse 36. And encouragement was his first function in Paul's life. And so when the newly converted Saul becomes Paul, came to the Christians at Jerusalem, they were afraid of him, rightfully so. But it was Barnabas who built a bridge between Saul and the other Christians, vouching for the reality of his faith and his ministry, according to Acts 9, 26 to 27. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed to be missionaries, according to Acts 13, verse 2, and the church of Antioch set them off, and they took John Mark along as a helper and traveled through many Gentile areas with the gospel message. It says they were men who risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Acts 15.25. And halfway through their journey, Mark left Paul and Barnabas, and this became a point of contention later, and as they planned a second missionary journey, Paul and Barnabas, they had such a disagreement that they end up separating over this, of of whether or not to take Mark again. Barnabas, ever the encourager, was unwilling to leave John Mark behind. They have this sharp disagreement is the words that are used there, and so they part ways. And, And from that point on, Barnabas traveled with John Mark, and Paul chose Silas as his companion in Acts 15, 36-41. So what we have here in 1 Corinthians 9, 6 is the name of Barnabas that pops up again. And many scholars agree that this suggests that the two were eventually reconciled, since this letter was written, I don't know, probably about four to six years after that incident had divided them. So Paul will be reconciled with John Mark, who was the cousin of Barnabas, who's also the author of the book of Mark, that John Mark, as cited by Paul in Philemon 1.24, Colossians 4.10, and 2 Timothy 4.11. So this mention of Barnabas all these years later, that's a big deal since Paul taught on forgiving one another in Colossians 3.13. And Paul states that apostles have the right to be married and to make their living from the ministry that they are serving so faithfully in that's appointed to them by God. So we can got to continue on in that vein of thought, but here we can just overlook the fact that Barnabas' name was mentioned, and that was a big deal. That's a huge statement to make that here Paul is lumping himself into the same category with Barnabas. Reconciliation has happened. So as you may recall, Paul was a tent maker, with Aquila and Priscilla. They had been evicted from Rome because of Claudius in Acts chapter 18, verses 1 to 17. So Paul labored to establish the church in Corinth during the second missionary journey around 51 to 53 AD, and that was approximately 10 to 14 years after that whole Damascus Road experience had happened. So he stayed in Corinth Corinth for 18 months, according to Acts 18, verse 11. So this was by God's design because it was their home where the church began. So so they had been evicted from Rome. This is Aquila and Priscilla. And Paul will then go to them. The, the, The church in that area is established from their very home. And so Paul extends greeting to the church from Aquila and Priscilla in 1 Corinthians 16, 19. And it was Aquila and Priscilla who personally helped mentor Apollos, who would become the preacher at that particular church in Acts 18, 24 to 28. So Paul had this mindset and mission of planting churches and raising up others to lead them. However, he was compensated by other churches to do that. In order to fund those whole ministry efforts, other churches were fitting the bill. They were taking care of all the expenses 
so that Paul could faithfully serve them there in Corinth so that they didn't have to pay him a paycheck in order to give them this message of hope, that he could do it full-time at at the expense of everything else to give them this hope, according to 2 Corinthians 11, 7-11, and and Philippians 4, 10-19. So in this, those who supported him shared in the blessing of his labors. They get the reward of even like they were right there with him doing the work because of their faithful support to enable him to do that. He's not charging a salary. He's giving and serving there faithfully for free because others are sacrificing in order to make that happen. And those who are sacrificing also experience the blessing of that sacrifice. So in the same way, as you're tithing to your church, you are entrusting that church, that church leadership with your sacrificial giving with the expectation that it's handled with utmost care to further the kingdom of God, to be used in the most effective ways to that end. And as I have mentioned before, the church is supported by 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 all of you. The work that goes out through your church, through our church, as God has established a church, it is His, and it's not about the brick and mortar. Without your faithful support, that work couldn't be done. And God pours out those blessings upon you for your faithfulness. In fact, our church supports more than a dozen different ministries and missionaries all around the world. We have missions now in 43 countries. None of that would be possible if not for your faithfulness. And many of those ministries, those missionaries, in fact, do not receive an income at the local level to do that work. But they still have expenses too. So it's important that we understand how we are all working together as the body of Christ to ensure that this mission goes forth that they are indeed receiving far more than they are paying for. These individuals, these missionaries and missions going out are giving them the hope of eternal life, the gospel message, the greatest value of any knowledge on the face of this earth, and many of them are doing it at the total expense that costs them everything and the people receiving nothing. And so we have to understand that we are all partakers in the blessing. We are all sacrificing for this greater cause. We're in this together. It is Christ's church. We are the living stones. And so we're going to continue on in this vein of thought of 1 Corinthians chapter 9. It gets even better. I know you should expect that by now. We're just getting started in this particular chapter, and it is exciting stuff of what we're about to cover. So tune in again next week. If you'd like to listen to this broadcast and others, please go to calvaryfountain.com. This is a ministry of Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley, a, a, a Calvary Chapel Church right here in Colorado Springs. We go through the Bible verse by verse. We are an expository church, and we have services throughout the week, small group studies. We know you'll be blessed. If you're looking for a church here in Colorado Springs, in the southern area of Colorado Springs, please come out and check us out. Calvaryfountain.com. Again, the ministry, Calvary Fellowship, Fountain Valley. God bless you, my friends. We'll talk to you next week.